Hey, welcome back to the Pulpit to Pew podcast and this week's adult Bible study as we continue our new series in the book of 1 John. And we're going to pick up at the very beginning and do a little bit of recap and then we'll dive into the subject that I entitled The Killer of Fellowship and Joy. So without further ado, here is this week's adult Bible study. All right, let's take our Bibles and go to 1 John. We started our series in the epistles of John. I say the epistles because we're going to cover 1 John the majority of the time, and then we will get to 2 John and 3 John for about one or two weeks maybe um, because they don't take too long. But we are going to start. We've started last week in this new study, and I joked at the beginning of class, and I said, what is Gnosticism? And so uh, I don't expect you necessarily to remember that from last week. But remember last week I did say this, that there was a growing number of false teachers that were creeping into the church. And John was burdened. How many disciples were left as John wrote this? Anybody remember? None. Just John. Yeah, he was it. So you got John. He's, I think emotionally, he's watched... All of these ones that he grew up, that he, that he kind of ministered with for three years, he's watched them all die and not die easy deaths. They all died a martyr's death. And he's left, but he's been ministering to these churches in Ephesus, and he sees these false teachers come in, and he begins to deal with them. And I will, I'm not going to review a lot about that from last week, but Gnosticism was this teaching it means uh, special knowledge, and it was this teaching that, that mixed pagan mysticism and Greek philosophy. And, and ultimately, what they came down to was kind of one or two ways, asceticism or licentiousness, either that everything is evil, that's matter, so you've got to discipline yourself, you've got to avoid all forms of indulgence. It's just don't do anything. You become like a monk, basically. You don't do anything because everything is sin. Or they go to the other extreme in licentiousness, which is what they dealt with a lot in the New Testament time they wrote about. But it's basically live however you want. Your body is evil, but your soul's good. So do whatever you want. It's all going to be forgiven in a sense in the end. And both were wrong. But then there was a couple of doctrines that came out of it, Docetics and Serinthians we talked about. But ultimately what it was is false teaching coming into the church. And so he dealt with that at the beginning of last week when we were talking about but when he finished and let me get to my actual notes today when he finished attacking this false teaching he then affirmed the reality of christ and that's important because they remember that some of these false teachers didn't believe that jesus actually came that maybe it was just a spirit or or that he wasn't virgin birth and all this so so john affirmed the reality of christ both eternally he said he's from the beginning historically he said i was there i witnessed him i touched him i leaned upon him I, he, he was alive historically but then as i already dove into experientially he said i i experienced christ i i know that he exists how many of you have been to the grand canyon now what if i said no you haven't it doesn't exist <laughs> Grand Canada doesn't exist. I've never seen it. I've never been there. You're all liars. I don't believe it. You're going to say, no, Brad, I've been there. I learned, I've got a picture. I, I stood over it. I saw the canyons. I, whatever. I'm, I can still say it. No, nope, I've never been there, so I don't believe it. And you can say, okay, you're crazy. I've been there. I've seen it. That's kind of what we saw happening. These second and third generation Christians were saying, 
Boy, these false teachers are saying that Jesus wasn't a real human being, that he really wasn't born, that he really didn't believe this. And John's saying, no, guys, I was there. I listened to his sermon. I, I was there in the Mount of Transfiguration when, the, when his glory was there, and we all fell down. I was there when he healed that blind man. I heard that sermon on the Mount. He's real. And don't waver in your faith is what he was trying to tell them. But, but now he's going to transition from there, because and, and, we saw in the last verse, we're in chapter 1, verse 4, he said something else. He said, these things write we unto you. So he's given us another purpose. He said that your joy may be full. And the verse before that, he talked about fellowship. And so when we ended last week, we saw another reason for John's letter. He wanted his readers to enjoy the fellowship that he enjoyed with Christ. And he was saying to them, just as I was physically with Jesus I had, and had that fellowship with him, you can have it today. He may not physically be with you, but you can experience him every day. And he understand the truth of the Holy Spirit living inside of him. And he wanted him to enjoy the fellowship with Christ. And as a result of that fellowship, he said, you're going to have joy. And that is actually a big deal. I was saying this to some this morning. Outside of, there's some questions I get a lot when I was pastoring and now when I'm out of it and just doing a podcast, sometimes people write questions. And one of the questions that I always get is, how do I understand the Bible? Where do I read? I don't know. I don't, and you get that one all the time. But do you know, surprisingly, one of the questions I've gotten a lot since I was a youth pastor from teenagers, and I had it recently in the last two weeks, someone saying, how do you have joy? I just don't have joy. I just struggle with joy. Well, I find it interesting that in this text, he says, I'm writing this to you that your joy may be full. So I wonder if he was sensing the same thing. These Christians that were just burdened with the circumstances of life and they were being robbed of joy. And so today's lesson, I call it the killer of fellowship and joy. Because he's, he's coming right off of that verse saying, I want your joy to be full. And now I'm going to take the next few verses and show you here is what's going to rob you of joy. And when I answer these people, when they ask me about joy, it's going to be similar to this answer right here. So let's dive into it. Starting in verse number five, he says, coming off of that verse, he says, I want your joy to be full. He just continues. He didn't take a week break like us. All right. So he continues writing. He says, this then is the message which we have heard of him. So he's talking about Jesus. We heard this and declare it unto you that God is is light and in him is no darkness at all and so number one i put this to understand sin you've got to understand god to understand sin you have to understand god and so he didn't start by saying hey listen here's the what's going to kill you of your joy and he's going to get right into sin no he started by saying Here's what's going to kill you with joy, but let me first tell you why. Let me tell you a little bit about God. He starts with God, not with us. And he's establishing a few things about God. He said, number one, God is light. Very simple. God is light. Light is pure. Light is holy. If you study throughout the New Testament, I'm not going to get too sidetracked today and go back to all these different passages, but you see when he uses the contrast of of light and darkness all throughout the gospels it's used all throughout the new testament john a matter of fact in the gospel of john used it quite often and the, the gospel writers matthew martin luke and john would say about jesus and jesus said about himself i am the light of the world 
John in John 3, when he's talking to Nicodemus there, one of those, those Pharisees, he, he told him at one point, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And he's not talking about the time of day. In a sense, he's saying the darkness and the idea of sin. It's a metaphor for sin. And so God is light. He's pure. He's holy. But he says in him is no darkness at all. So in God is absolutely no sin. The darkness is a metaphor for sin. Now, if you've sat in church for some time, you're like, yeah, I know that. But you have to start with that foundation. If you don't build on a firm foundation, as we see even in the Gospels, everything else gets shaky. And so he establishes with his readers, once again, God is a holy God. He hates sin. He's pure. No part of him is sin. And, and there's no darkness found in him. There's nothing wicked. There's nothing deceiving. There's nothing about that in God. He is light. And in him is no darkness at all. And then he transitions to three if we say statements. There's going to be three times in our text today where we're going to see him say, if we say. If we say. He's basically saying, if you say. But we sounds a lot nicer. So he's saying, if you guys keep saying this... But he includes us all. And he says, if we say, and here are three statements. Let's start in verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Now, this is where we start to, the key passage in this statement. This if we say statement is, if we say we have fellowship with God, but we're living in continual darkness. What is darkness a metaphor? Sin. So if I say to you, I come to church, I say, oh, man, this is great. I, uh, boy, I just love time with God this week, fellowship with God. And we can be, we could fool people and look right and smile right and sing the songs. But if we are living our lives in sin, we can say we're in fellowship with God all we want, but we're not. Now, here's the key of this book. First John gets so confused we're not talking about salvation here. I'm going to show you this in a second. We're all throughout this text, fellowship is different than salvation. We're not studying this book and saying, all right, if you say that you're in fellowship, that means salvation with God, but you walk in darkness, you're no longer a Christian because then all of us struggle all the time. Some of you got a little bit upset with your spouse this morning and would have lost your salvation on the way to church today. It's not what it means. What he's saying is fellowship. You know what fellowship is? When I'm in fellowship with God, that means I've dealt with my sins. I'm going to come more to this later, but I've dealt with my sins. I'm walking in his power and his victory that he won for me on the cross. And I'm going to break this down a little bit more as we get going. But, but if we try to say, I'm in fellowship with God. God and I are good. We're, we're fine. Everything's good. But you're living in continual sin. And you're not confessing it. You don't care about it. You're just going to live in your open sin. And he says right here, it's not me saying it. I'm not being the mean teacher. All right, he said it. He said, you're a liar. It's not true. Because remember, we got to go back to our foundational verse. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. So if we say that we're walking with him and fellowship with him, but we live in sin, we're living in sin, and we don't deal with that sin, which I'm going to talk about later, you're lying. You're not in fellowship with God. I always illustrate out of fellowship with God as a king toes. And I always get illustrate that if Aaron and I were growing up together and he was trying to get a 
water drink out of the hose, you know what I would do as his brother back then? I would take that hose and kink it. He'd be looking at it, and then I'd unkink it. Boom, it would hit him. The water's there, but when you kink it, all of a sudden, it's out of fellowship. There's no results. But as soon as you deal with that kink, there it is. Same thing with us when we sin. And, and, but, but if we try to say, oh, God and I are fine, but we're living in sin, no fellowship. And guess what? No fellowship, no joy. That's why he's writing this book. Now, this book is, is all about, as we get going into this even deeper, it's all about your fellowship with God, not your salvation. But here is one key phrase, though, that I want you just to remember. Just tuck this away for later. When you're out of fellowship with God, you don't feel saved. So I get a lot of questions to me when people say, I don't even know if I'm really a Christian. And I'll say, have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? They'll say, well, yeah, but I just don't feel saved. So at that point, I start poking and prodding, trying to find where's the sin. Because it may just be that you're living in sin, you're not dealing with your sin, and so you don't feel very good about it. Remember Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve walked in fellowship with God, did they not? Everything was great until they took of that fruit. And now all of a sudden, what did they realize? We heard it in the revival meetings. All of a sudden, they realized they were naked. That didn't bother them before. Why did it not bother them before? They hadn't sensed this guilt of sin. And now all of a sudden, and now all of a sudden, when God comes just to walk with them as he does, they were hiding. Why would they hide? They've always walked with God. They're out of fellowship. What broke that? Sin. Now, they weren't trying to deny it. They knew it. They may have been pointing fingers. Adam said, it's that woman that you gave me. And she said, well, it's that serpent. But they were pointing fingers. But either way, they were out of fellowship. So if we say we have fellowship with God, but walk in darkness, we're a liar. And so how do I walk in the light? Well, one, I'll just give a couple things. I'm going to get to more later. But how do I walk in the light then? I've got to deal with my sin immediately. I want to deal with that sin and get it right with God immediately. Don't let it drift. Don't let it stay. Don't put it off and say it's not a big deal. You're going to see in today's lesson that it's all about dealing with the killer of joy, which is sin. We've got to deal with it immediately. If I sin, get it right. If it's just against God and it's a private thing and I sin against God, I need to confess it and get it right. But if you've sinned against somebody, get it right. So on the way here, if you've gotten a spout with your, with your spouse, guess what? Get it right. We'll pause and watch. All right, go ahead. Right now. Let's just see it. No, get it right. Don't stay in that sin. Get, have fellowship. Talk to them about it. Get it right. Now, that, now, immediately, some of you guys, I know what you're thinking. Uh, no, no, no. I don't want to be the one. I don't want to be. I'm always the one. I'm always the one, maybe you're thinking. Or if you're the wife, maybe you're thinking you're always the one. But here's the thing. Is it worth being out of fellowship with God? Just get it right. Confess it. Agree. We're going to get back there in a little bit. All right, walk in light. Deal with that sin immediately. And, and then allow, I put secondly, how do I walk in the light? Deal with sin immediately. But then number two, allow the light of God's word, not work, I may have it wrong in yours, to filter out the darkness, the sin in your life, and to guide you. You see, one of the, one of the reasons why we emphasize to get into the word of God and to read the word of God and to study it, because God's word, as, one, as Psalm 119 verse 9 says, it says this, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? And it says, By taking heed thereto according to thy word. The word of God is what cleanses us from sin. It guides us. It reveals to us. It exposes us. 
And so we need to be in the word of God. How do I walk in the light? Deal with sin immediately and allow God's word to filter out the darkness. But then what's the results of it? So if we really take serious this idea about being in fellowship with God and we really take serious about dealing with our sin, what will be the result? Well, it tells us, I think, in verse number 7, watch. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light. So if we walk in fellowship with God as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Well, hold on, we weren't talking about that. But you know what? If I'm walking in the Spirit, if I'm walking in fellowship with God, and let's just pick on Aaron because he's right here again, and Aaron's walking in the Spirit, and he's walking in fellowship with God, then all of a sudden, him and I are going to get along real well. It doesn't matter that he married my sister. It doesn't matter that he thinks he's better than me at some things. It doesn't matter because if he's walking in fellowship with God, and I'm walking in fellowship with God, all of a sudden, hey, We've got something in common, Jesus Christ. And you may have some quirky things, and you may think I have some quirky things, <laughs> but we can still have fellowship. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, people that you think, I don't know how I would ever get along with that person, but I'm in fellowship with Christ, and he's in fellowship with Christ, and now we have fellowship one with another. But here's where our problem comes in, even in churches. I get out of fellowship with God, and then I become critical of that person. Or he gets out of fellowship with God and then he gets critical of me. Or we both get out of fellowship with God and we just criticize the whole place. Just start <laughs> mowing them down. All right? And all of a sudden there's fights and discontentment. And here's the answer to all problems. Walk in the light. Just get in fellowship with God. Deal with your sin before God and let them deal with their sin before God. And we'll walk in fellowship. One with another. That's one of the results. But it says the blood of Jesus Christ... The, his, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. There's a cleansing from sin. When we walk in fellowship with God and confess that sin, the blood of Jesus Christ, and this, I know we don't, you may not care about Greek, but and I don't really all the time either, but it does, and it was originally written in Greek, and it does help us that it is the present participle. That means it just keeps on cleansing. It's not a one time and that's it. No, it means it keeps on cleansing. And so, just probably some of you today or last night decided to take a shower. I, I hope. I think so. This room smells pretty good. It doesn't smell like when we have a bunch of junior high boys in here or something like that. It smells pretty good. Well, why did you take a shower, though? Because you took a shower the day before. And some of you may have taken a shower the day before. So why do you keep showering? Because we keep getting dirty. And you've been out mushroom hunting. And you get ticks. And you keep getting dirty. You keep getting dirty. And so you just shower again because we get dirty. You know what? That's amazing about God. When we sin and we confess it to God, we're probably going to sin again at some point. Unfortunately. I don't want to, but sometimes I am. What's amazing about God is His blood keeps on cleansing. He'll forgive me again. And I'm going to come back to this in a minute. But there's cleansing in this. And, and this is, a, I, I really have, I don't have time to get sidetracked on this, but I, I think it's, it's such an important truth that I have to say it for a second. One of the, also the results of this is, you see the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we just celebrated. We just talked about how Jesus died, He was buried, and He rose again victorious over sin and death. And when you think, and when I think of salvation, a lot of times we think of salvation from hell and I'm going to heaven. Yes, and that's true. That's the penalty of sin. But do you realize that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus not only dealt with that penalty of hell, so you get to go to heaven, 
But it also deals with the power of sin right now. A lot of people miss this. The Van Gelderens, who I like to listen to a lot of times, they'll call it the gospel to the saints. So there's the gospel to the sinner. I don't have to go to hell. I can go to heaven because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Yes, that's great. But you know that the gospel still affects Brad McClure today? Because I may want to worry about something and get in sin, but I have the gospel today. I don't have to. Because Jesus won victory over worry. And so, but a lot of people don't get this. They think, I received Jesus by faith, and so I'm saved and I go to heaven, but now I'm going to struggle. I'm going to bounce around and struggle with sin my entire life, and then all of a sudden, one day I'm going to get to heaven. Oh, and I don't have to deal with sin anymore. That's not what the Christian life is supposed to be. Jesus died on the cross, not so that just in heaven you'll have no sin, and just so you don't have to go to hell, but right now, on this day, on this Mother's Day, you don't have to struggle with worry and anger and frustration and lack of joy and all this. Jesus won victory over sin. So today, we say, well, how do I get that victory? It's the same way you got victory from hell. What did you do when you got saved? Did you do anything? No, you placed your faith in who? Jesus. And when you placed your faith in Jesus, you received salvation. How do I get victory today? I place my faith in Jesus in a time of need, and I trust him. You say, well, that's not good. you got to do something. Well, did you do anything to get to heaven? No, I trusted him. Remember, Romans says, the just shall live by faith. He says in Colossians chapter 3, as you received him, so walk ye in him. I received Jesus by faith. Now I need to walk in faith. You see, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, yes, it's going to free you from hell and take you to heaven. But in the meantime, it gives you victory that you can claim every single day. You don't have to struggle. I used to tell people with addictions that when I worked in addictions ministry. Talk, tell them that the, this truth right here, that the gospel was for you. You, they, some of them were genuinely saved, but struggling in sin. And I would say, you know what? You can have victory. It sounds simple, but you can. All right, I'll have to touch more on that later. So he says, if we say we have fellowship, but we walk in darkness, we're not in fellowship with God. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian, but you're not in fellowship. Christians can be out of fellowship with God. I probably better touch on this real quick, though, before I move on. I'm never going to get done, but I better touch on this. Can someone claim to be a Christian, though, and not really be a Christian? It can happen. You know, sometimes I, 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 there's times that people say that they're a Christian and they make, it, they make a decision and you just never see any fruit in their life. You never see a change. Years and years and years go by and you never see any change. Are they really a Christian? Here's my answer. And I had to tell this to a mom whose son had just been killed in the military. And she asked me, was my son a Christian? And here's what I said. I don't know. I don't know. And here's what I said. He told me he received Jesus Christ as his Savior. But I don't know. And I hated to say that, but I didn't want to give her a false hope. But you know what? The truth was, I never saw any change in his life. But my position on that is, it's not my job to be a fruit inspector. I'm just to be a fruit bearer. So I don't go around my life saying, well, I haven't seen a lot in your life, so you may not be a Christian. And you, I don't know, Dan, I've been around you for a while. I, 
I'm not going around trying to be a fruit inspector to determine whether or not you're a Christian. That's between you and God. I'm just to be a fruit bearer. I want to share the gospel with you. And if you live your life in such a way that we have to, at the end of your life, say, I don't know, then it's good. you're leaving your family with a situation where they're just going to have to hope that you're in heaven when they get there. They don't know. So, yes? From experience. <clears throat> experience? Someone being under fire. I've been there. Yeah. There's no atheists. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I guarantee you that. Oh, I guarantee you that, too. Yeah. Well, the Bible says you're without excuse in Romans 1. You know, I could get sidetracked there, but yeah. There's no atheist. But what a... But So what a sobering thought. But I tell you, if we say we have fellowship with God, if we want to say I'm walking with God, I'm in fellowship with God, but you're living in sin and you won't deal with that sin, the Bible says, not me, he says, you're a liar. Now, number two, if we say, now here's another one, if we say we have no sin, we say, I, I, no, I don't have any sin, I don't sin anymore, in a sense that we say we have eradicated our sinful nature, then he says, well, you're deceived. In verse 8, he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. There are a teaching, there's a belief out there, some believe that you can get to the place where you no longer sin, that I've eradicated my sinful nature. I no longer sin. Well, just start making fun of them or something. They're going to sin. I, mean, he's gonna, I just want to poke the bear sometimes and be like, I bet I can make you sin, but... It's not going to, I've not ran into this too many times, but there are some that believe they can get to sinless perfection. And, uh, but he says, if we try to say you have no sin, you're deceived. You're, you, you, you have, we have a sin nature. Each one of us, Spurgeon said this, he said, he who cannot find water in the sea is not more foolish than a man who cannot perceive sin in his members, talking about his body. You know, we, we are sinners and we have a sin nature and we entered this world with a sin nature thanks to Adam and Eve that we talked about earlier and and so that sin nature means we all have a bent to sin we all have that tendency then when I said earlier we just poke the bear a little bit we have a tendency to want to get to to go to our our pet sins I think I don't know if I put it in your notes but I put a dog does is not a dog because it barks it barks because it's a dog it's just in its nature to bark and you and I, it's just in our nature. I've said to teens many times, if you take a pig and you can put makeup on it and do its hair, do whatever you want to do, paint its little hooves, but if you leave that door open, guess where that pig's going to go? It's going to go to the mud. It doesn't care how pretty you try to make it. It's going to go to the mud. And the truth is, Brad McClure has a sin nature that wants to bend towards sin. But Jesus Christ has been that mediator. And so what do we do, though, when we sin? Because we are sinners. We want to be in fellowship with God and we want to have joy, but we do sin. What do we do? Verse 9 is a verse that you probably have memorized. If you don't, you need to highlight it, circle it, memorize it, live by it. This is our verse as Christians. Because we want to be in fellowship with God, I'm assuming. So then here's what he says. If we confess our sins. What does confess mean? It means agree with God. God, I agree with you. This is sin. So if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That is that present participle. He's going to keep on forgiving our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is our verse as Christians. See, I want to be in fellowship with God, but I sinned this morning driving church, let's say. We'll confess it, confess it to God. Agree with God. Say, God, I was wrong. 
I told my wife, we're going to be late. You better get here. And I got an attitude. And God, I was wrong. God's guy probably going to whisper to you, go tell her. Go tell her too. But you know what? When you get, when you confess that sin and you agree with God, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Every time. Now, sometimes people get scared at this, and I've had this in my life too. We say, well, what if I, you know, what if I did something back in like 2003 and I can't remember it and I sinned and I didn't confess it? And so now I I'm, I'm, want to be in fellowship with God, but what if I did something 15 years ago and I have no idea? And so what, and you can worry, usually you're a worrier by nature, but you're going to worry yourself to death. Here's what I love about this. We need to confess what we know is wrong. If you can think about it, if the Spirit of God brings it up and you know it's wrong, confess it. If it was something that was private, then keep it private and confess it to God. If it was something that was public or to someone, you need to get it right. And then... Once you do, you're confessing what you know to be wrong. It's why that last part of the verse, he says, he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. All that other stuff he's going to deal with. You've got to confess what you know and what you remember. And God will deal with the rest. And so don't, don't go around worrying all the time saying, I don't know, I may be out of fellowship with God because what did I do back then? What I can't remember. No, no, no. God is so gracious. What he's looking for is that brokenness in your heart over your sin and when you are broken and you confess what you know and what you what you've just done or what you have done he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness everything that you can't even remember he's going to confess you he's going to deal with it but then you have a clean slate and if you happen to sin on the way home from church because she picked a place you didn't want to eat at or he picked a place you didn't want to eat at you're right back in the same boat guess what stop Confess it and get it right and stay in fellowship with God. I got to move fast, but verse 10, he says this. Here's our last if we statement. If we say we have not sinned. Well, here's a person that says, I've, I've never sinned. We make him, God, a liar and his word is not in us. This is a difficult passage to understand. I, I, I tend to look at this as though the whole book is dealing with fellowship with God and Christians. I think he's almost going back to these false teachers here and he's saying, if you believe you've never sinned, that's the first part of the gospel. First part of being saved is you've got to realize you're a sinner. And if you won't even admit that you've ever sinned, then you're making God a liar who says you're a sinner and his word, the gospel, is not in you. I think in verse 10, he's saying you're not even a Christian. Now, he's going to be dealing with fellowship. He's not going to be dealing the whole time with whether you're saved or not. But I think in this context when he's dealing with sin is if you think you've never sinned in your entire life, and I really don't think I've ever met someone like that, but they're probably out there. If you think you've never sinned ever, ever, ever in your entire life, then you think that you're making God a liar and the word of truth is not in you. It's impossible. Only Jesus Christ has never sinned. Now, John didn't stop at this point and say, hey, let's wait till next week and we'll jump into chapter two. That's not what he did. But next week we are going to begin and we're going to continue this thought on sin. And then he's going to move on to some other very important topics. But as I leave this lesson, as we've looked at the killer of fellowship and the killer of joy, if you don't feel joyful right now in your Christian life, trace it back to find out what sin am I dealing with? What, and ask God, is there some sin? that I'm dealing with, trace it back.
But I want to leave you with this verse. It's not necessarily the greatest of verses to leave you with, but I want you to leave you with this verse. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh it shall have mercy. You try to cover that sin, you're not, you're not going to prosper. You're not going to have fellowship with God. You're going to be miserable. But when you deal with that sin, you get the mercy of God, the fellowship with God, fellowship with one another, and that joy is restored. Don't let your joy be robbed by sin.